call recorder is on. Skype, uh, Skype is working. We did it. Right? We, it's uh, let's just call it a show. It all, <laughs> it all worked. I didn't have to touch anything. I, it, it, I, I've upgraded. I'm in the, I'm in the Catalina world now. I'm not. It's not a salad dressing. Do you? Do you? <laughs> I've got, uh, I got a Catalina, Catalina thing here, and it's working. I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm very, I'm very happy this all worked this morning. What's, what's going on with you? Uh oh, you're on mute. No, I'm not. Can, now, I, can you hear me? Yeah, now now you're not. Even gave oh. me. So here, <laughs> little little Skype update. No, this is good. This is good for you and for me. When you were on mute, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you. A little message comes up that says Don's on mute. It. it huh. I didn't. I didn't put myself on mute. How weird. I, on, on purpose. Well, hey. Oof. Anyway, I, what I was going to ask you was, uh, now I forgot. So, so what? What are you? What are you happy about? Are you happy that you like Catalina? Are you happy that it didn't it, putting Catalina on your computer didn't mess something up? Yeah, B. Are you happy B. That call recorder didn't deinstall itself as it seems to do every week. I mean, exactly. Why are you happy? Yeah, B and C. B and C <laughs> is exactly. So, uh, Don, I'm happy that everything went as planned as it should today. Mm. That's nice. It doesn't. It doesn't often happen. It's, Lately, it seems like it hasn't happened much at all. No, yeah. no. And and I so a little insider baseball, inside baseball, insider baseball, insider insider trading. Well, I is the SEC listening? <laughs> what, hang on. So whatever it is that politicians do when they learn about security things, that's not what I'm talking about. Inside inside baseball about Skype and doing things that we do for podcasts. I also edited the last episode of the podcast in a new version of uh, GarageBand. I wanted to say Rock Band, which I don't know what's happening. I like my head exploded there. I was like, is it called Rock Band? No, it's called GarageBand. Or it's not a new version. It's just I've been using the legacy old version, like GarageBand yeah. 6, forever. I mean, really, since we started doing this podcast. We set it up back in 2013, and I've used exactly that every time. And now all of my computers don't support that legacy version. So I had to learn the, the newer version and, and it, and it was fine. It it all worked. It, it took me a couple minutes to figure it out. Yeah. Well, and I, I will say as, as a, as a podcast editing app, it's great if you have a band <laughs> that right, you, you right. recorded in your garage. Yeah. It's not, it's not really designed for editing podcasts, um, but it, you can make it work and good enough. And yeah, I, I have to say though, I am for now, I'm all in on Descript. It's, I'm, it's weird. It's not, it's not intuitive for me, but I am, I, I edited all of the, I edited, um, you did edited, edited, edited. <laughs> I edited all of the most recent batch of Risky's or not, Risky or Nots, Risky's risk, or not, risk, risk Attorney's not. General, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> the doctors, uh, updated, edited all of those in Descript and it worked quite well. Um, I'm still learning. There's still some, you know, weird sort of terminology and, and kind of things I'm figuring out. Like I've uploaded multiple copies of the theme song, which I don't need to do. I just can upload one copy and then link to it. But I can't delete the ones that I've already linked to because they're already linked into projects, and so it's a little, it's a little, it's it's a little bit of a learning curve. But it, I I really I really like it, and actually I'm so all in that I'm thinking I'm thinking I might even pay for the more expensive version. I'm, I'm paying for the not free version, but I might even pay for the more expensive version because that's how they get you, Ben. That's how yeah. Um, they give you more features if you pay more money, and so yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really enjoying it. So 
Okay, so next, so next time, not this episode. This episode's yours to, to edit. But the next episode, I will. I am committing now to jump in on Descript, just to just to do it, just to try it out. Does it? Does the in, intro and outro audio work okay with it? Like you just drop it in, just like the normal stuff, and it says it's music, and that's yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little wonky. Like sometimes it doesn't seem to want to drop in. But the, it has very nice faders to fade the music down and fade and bring the music up, which I, I like a lot. They're they're quite intuitive. You can do, you can do it sort of manually, but you can also just do a like just. I, and I'm not sure they call it a fade, but anyway, if you just you and so what I've learned is like I just don't don't go hunting to try to find something on the menus. Just go into support and just type in your question, right? Like what Google has trained us to do whenever we want to know the answer to something, right? Just go into support and type the question, and more often than not, you find the answer. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, all right, I'm I'm in. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I I have a Canadian American question for you. Mm. So on the the things on your roof that catch the rain. <laughs> yep. What are those? What are those called? What do you call those? You know the things like the rain hits your roof, rolls down your roof, goes into a thing, and then that thing goes into another thing to the ground, so it doesn't just yep. come off in sheets. What do you call those? Yep, uh, I would call that a gutter bag. Yeah, yeah, those. That's what they are called here. Rain uh, gutters. Rain gutters. Yeah. Oh, in fact, in fact, that makes me think of. You know, uh, in uh, that's the thing about Boy Scouts because of this. So we, you know, everybody knows. Or most many people know. <laughs> many people. Are many people say. Um, <laughs> that uh, Boy Scouts love their Pinewood Derbies. But for the nautically inclined Boy Scouts, there's also rain gutter regattas where you basically take rain gutters and you put them on, you know, what do you call those things? The sawhorses. And and then you you have you wouldn't do it now because of COVID, but you have a little boat which you put in the rain gutter and then you blow <laughs> and, and it sails down to the end of the rain gutter. So yeah, a little bunch of little kids running around uh, breathing heavily. It's probably not a good idea these times, these days. But yeah, rain gutter regatta. So anyway, wh- wh- why the question about well, rain gutter? Well, well, so currently, currently on on the front half of my house, which is not where I do the recording of this this fine show, this podcast, I th- there are new uh, gutters, as you would call them, being installed on my house. Uh, we've been without gutters for about three weeks, and in those three weeks, we've had you know I don't know a hurricane. Uh, torrential downpours almost every night. So we, 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 we had, we were having them replaced because our other ones, well, it was more out of necessity. This isn't a, one of those purchases where we kind of thought, ah, oh, you know what we need is new gutters. But as, as our old gutters increasingly f- started to fall off of our house, it became, <laughs> oh. became clear that it was time for us to, to install new ones. So, but I, I don't, I don't refer to them as that. And in fact, as I've talked to my my neighbors and others around me about it, I and this is one of those situations where the word that I have in my head is eaves trough, which is what we call them in Canada. Except now I'm looking at like the internet and 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 in fact an eaves trough is not the same as gutters, but what whatever potato potato situation. Maybe a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a- according to uh, dkfinewoodwork.com, which is my go-to source for everything fine woodwork and uh, troughing, an eaves trough can be defined as a trough that you see attached to the eaves of a building, which oh, there you go. is extremely right helpful. <laughs> this system together helps in draining water from the roof. And the gutter is a channel that also drains water. However, it's a channel that is prepared on the surface. 
So you would see most people use the wood eaves trough for metal attachments that are found on the side of, of the roof, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we don't, we, we don't have, we, we, I, I think in, in growing up, we refer to both gutters and eaves troughs as the same. And, and so in fact, I told, I've told people that we're having our eaves replaced and someone's like, what? <laughs> What, yes. What? Like, I don't understand. This is, this goes into another like bucket of words, like uh, pencil crayons, which is uh-huh. not a, not a term that, that, you, that you have here. We have pencils and we have crayons, Ben. Right. But what do, what do you call, what are the ones that are, what are the ones that, that you would draw like a, you'd fill in a map with that, that is kind of a crayon, but it's also a pencil. We call those pencil colored crayons. pencils. Right. And I, I think, would call them colored pencils. I feel like that's a problematic Which term. is what they are. Yeah, right. And they're right. not, they're not pencil crayons. All right. Yeah. They're crayon is a separate, different thing. It's a pencil. If you, it's have a pencil pencils, yeah. you have pencils that color in different colors, they're called pe- colored pencils. I mean, it's, right. Right. Just like if you have a trough beneath your eaves, it's an eaves trough. <laughs> and it <laughs> and gutters yeah, a gutter. Yeah, I, I googled I googled eavesdrop and it says noun Canadian <laughs> the roof. So there you go. Yeah. I think you're I think you're I think you're right. Yeah. So so anyway, on the on on the front of my house, both the gutters and the eaves troughs are being replaced, and on the back of the house they've been replaced already. Is there different things? No, no, it's the same. It's the same. Okay. Yeah. So so anyway, there's there's a little bit of minor construction going on. So you may hear like, which is that's my impression of of a power drill because I'm not very handy oh, okay. as much as I read dkfindwoodwork.com every week. So yeah. So there's a little bit a little bit of that going on, and this this will conclude i think the trilogy of home improvements that we've had over the last month here in our house and i I think i told we had our roof replaced well i told you i don't know if i told the listeners and um also not out of not not like one of those things where you're like oh you know well it would be really good just to let's spruce the place up by getting a roof replaced it was more out of necessity yeah exactly exactly which led to soffits being replaced which are the things i think that's the right term those those are the things underneath the roof where the rafters kind of hit the edge of the house that are very close to where my my gutters are being installed right now. It's been Don, it has not been a very it's been a very expensive summer this covid mm. summer well, for it's good. Good thing you're you're not taking vacations and you bought a golf cart. Exactly. Yes. This is this was all, all everything was related to to that. So it was it was all home home related improvements. Well, first in in soffit related follow up, I, I I did not know what a soffit was until we moved into our current house when we discovered yes, you guessed it, they needed to be replaced. So there you go. Yeah, they they go. I so here we are in uh, home home safety talk. The soft the soffit. In in the, our current house started to rot and it was like hmm. aluminum, or but yeah. our, our house is and, old or I oh, mean not yeah. not old old but I it was it was built in 1981 and nothing like the soffit has, was original so it's mm-hmm. I mean almost 40 years of of soffiting and I you know you get that get that far you need to be replaced so yeah but we. That that's uh, that's what's going around on around here. Other thing we are in uh, now permanent uh, virtual school for kids uh, in my house, and we'll talk about NC State University in a minute. But my my home, both both children are in school now, and and it's it's going all right. Jack, my older son, he's he started middle school, and he has eight separate periods where he needs to go to eight. This is like an exercise that most, what I've found is most professionals in, in our world can't do, but he has to go to eight different Google 
hangouts or meets, I guess, Google meets in throughout the day. And the, and the links constantly change the, he, the system they use is Google classroom and, and they, they get updated there, but he has not like technology wise. It all seems to be, be working. Okay. He does not like it. Sam, my younger son, who is now three weeks into his school does enjoy online schooling. So, but yeah. Well, what, what we've learned from about Jack is that what Jack really mostly wants to do is go ride a skateboard without a helmet. Uh, yes, 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 yes. And uh, tear ligaments and get a concussion and all those things. Yeah, yeah, we, it's, it's exactly what we've learned about Jack. So just one, one more brief bit of Soffit-related follow-up. I, I have to share this. Uh, it is an early 17th century term from French soffit or Italian soffito based on the Latin suffix, suffix, suffix us, which means literally translated fastened below. Oh, fastened below. There you go. So fa- All right. So I, think, I think that, that closes the uh, roof-related uh, follow-up for the podcast. So. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll – well, let me add one one more thing because I've, I've always got one more thing to say. Is always that, one more thing with you. It's always one more thing with me. Is that I, I thought until I uh, Googled it this morning that Soffit was, was spelled S-O-P-H-E-T or I-T or – but it's, uh, it's two Fs and that makes sense because – it very much looks like Sophie. Yes, um, uh, yeah, two, two Fs and, and one I. Uh, yeah, I also misspelled it. And uh, yeah, but but thanks to Google, I found it. So well, there there we go. Good. Yeah. yeah so so that's that's I, I've got I got myself some 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 good coffee here this morning. I didn't do my my coffee system where I did a pour over. I did a whole bunch of espressos. So I've got I got two. Then I'm almost done the first two, and then I've got two in the in the hop in the, in a hot cup. Where uh, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be ready here. We're gonna go on a four. It's gonna be four today. Uh, well, let me let me let me give you my my coffee update. So I I do I do two scoops and then make like an a, a sort of a espresso macchiato. It's my version of an espresso macchiato. And then I later on in the day I'll do in the morning I'll do another two. But because it was a podcast, I didn't really want four. So I went with three. So, mm, but mm. I just I've just finished that, and so I am I'm you know I'm I'm optimal coffee right now. So, but I think you're probably gonna you, you know you're probably gonna be better for the the long run because it sounds like you have more more caffeine in the tank. So I'm ready. Good. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Once we hit once we hit hour three, Don, I'm gonna be <laughs> I'm gonna be ready to go. <laughs> you know, I so the people you know we you you and I listen to multiple podcasts, and and I we've talked a little bit about this. I'm. I'm listening to less podcasts now because I'm spending less time in my in my car and I'm trying to be more mm. purposeful with my podcast listening. So I, I listen to podcasts when I exercise uh, like uh, that that is my preferred <clears throat> listening. So you know I'm not I'm not going to a, a gym as much. I'm exercising in my house. I'm still running a few times a week. But but you know that that that's sort of been my main podcast listening, and then then early in the morning, well, and I, early is a relative term, of course. But my 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 early, my early morning, sort of like eight till nine or nine thirty ish. I like to you know read news and and see what's happening on the on the Twitter sphere, and and listen to a podcast and drink coffee outside, and so that's that's been my my like sweet spot, and. We do have a long podcast on <laughs> our two hours is long, but I, but there are so many podcasts that I listen to that are at that hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes and I want them to be longer. So I feel like we're giving our listeners what they want every two weeks. You get, you get a couple hours from us, but I, I, you know, there, there are times we, we you know, we've kind of joked a little bit about this. We have 
uh, a couple of friends of the show that that talk about how long our episodes are. But but I, f- I feel like we're we're in the we're in the sweet spot. We're not changing now. How about that? And and if you know people want a, a shorter food safety related podcast, well, we have one of those too. <laughs> they can go listen to at riskyornot.co. But it, it's I, I don't know. I've, I've there, you know this this is a time for reflection. And as I've been listening to other podcasts in in a more like start to finish manner, because mainly my I was like starts and fits with with podcast listening i would i would do like you know 20 minutes in the car and then another 20 minutes on the way home and then run for 40 minutes and and you know finish finish something off now i, I kind of realized the the start to finish aspect of podcasts which i hadn't really I, I don't know i just wasn't experiencing them in the same way as as before but but yeah so so I, anyway I, I just wanted to say that we we're not going to change what we do and and yeah I think we do have kind of a longer formatted podcast but I really like it and it's for us not you anyway oh no I see I see you're you're on uh you you sound like you're in a in a hole I'll I'll, I'll keep now you're yeah, back can, yeah no but you but you're hearing me through my my I, monitor not through my road podcast that's true it's true what do we what do we got a Catalina problem a little uh, a little salad dressing issue like uh, I'm going to, I'll riff. I'll talk about, I'll talk about some other, other things. And maybe, uh, hopefully you can hear me when, when I'm talking about things. So, so what else is going on in, in my, my little world? There's a lot of hockey on TV. I'm, I'm in a, a, a little bit of a depressive, weird state on this. So my, my two teams that, that I root for, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Carolina Hurricanes, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are out, and the Carolina Hurricanes are about to be out this afternoon. They're down 3-1 in there. Maybe I'm back. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're back. You're back. Oh. I just turned this into uh, hockey plugging. safety talk. Yeah, thanks. I'm uh, plugging and unplugging. Oh, it's so annoying. I don't know what happened. I was just hovering over the the uh, Skype window because I was going to go on mute because I was thinking about moving my standing desk to a sitting position, you know, to save my energy since I got to keep up with you and all your caffeine. And then just literally hovering over that window caused the audio to go out. I think I don't know. Maybe it's a bad microphone connection. I don't know. Who, who knows? But you're I, back. Well, you know, and I, yeah, I, and I'm I I want to get a new microphone because I feel like I should because. You know, Road Podcaster is so you know mid two thousands. Oh yeah, like this, <laughs> um, it's a retro vintage. Uh, but then, but then I start reading um, all of what Marco has to say about headphones, and then I just like I just slowly <laughs> close the browser tab and I go back and I say, well, maybe tomorrow, because <laughs> it's it's really complicated. That's pretty yeah. Well, so and I'm gonna. This is I mean, it, it'll be clear to the to the listeners on this, how I operate, I'm going to wait till you figure it out. And then you'll just tell me what to get. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like, like exactly. you prepare for the podcast. I just show up and, t- and, and really ramble. I'll just, I'll do the same thing with the, with the microphone. I, I have been, so I, I, I do have like a, a new app that I'm using that I would like to tell you about. That's, that's not someone who sponsors our show, but it's uh it's like a task management thing that oh, is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have some task management news too, but we really should get to food safety at some point here. Whatever, yes. Don. I just I just went on a rant on how we're a long form podcast, and that's why that's who we are. Hey, some interesting call recorder related follow up. Oh yes, 
Call Recorder is reporting that it has been recording for about two minutes. Oh, well. And I'm sure we've been recording more than that, so I may need your audio. That's not a problem. My Call Recorder is reporting uh, 21 uh, minute and 14 seconds of recording. So I, I feel uh, I feel like we're going to be good. Okay, so so I've been using a, well, I, should, I, I shouldn't say I, my group, we have been using this, this software called Jira. Do you, have you ever heard of Jira before? Jura, it's a whiskey from a small island had, had, that they talk about on the Pod Save universe. Oh, right? yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> I no, and that's it's different from that. So we're using something called Jira that is a it's like a collaborative task manager. Okay, so I've so, talked. So first of all, it's not it's not J U R A single malt scotch. It is uh, not. How do you spell it? It's J I R A software. Jira. Jira. I say Jira. Did, what did I not say? Jira. I don't know. Jura? <laughs> Eves? You said it with a Gutters? Did you I say Gutters? <laughs> you said it with a Canadian accent. I probably did. So it's so I okay. So we're we're doing this project that that isn't that we can't really talk about yet. Ah, oh this the super secret one. Super secret po- yeah, uh, project that that will become apparent to people in a couple of weeks when we can talk about it. But As if po- you haven't figured it out already, folks. Right, right. So, but in this in this super secret project it includes a bunch of people, including you and some other other people, and and it's a, it's kind of a big thing, and there's a lot of moving moving parts, and so I, I'm really I. It, I don't know. Nervous probably isn't the right word, but I am anxious that I will not that I'll lose track of what's happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that that's it's a big project, and you're the you're the linchpin. So yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that's a normal feeling. I think. Well, good. It's good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. And so because of that, I've I've been putting a lot of uh, like effort into trying to figure out okay how do we keep track of everything and what the, you know there's there's got to be really good applications out there to to do some of this stuff and and omnifocus isn't the answer because it really isn't a collaborative space right like omnifocus right. is yeah. how i manage my life and yeah, exactly. yeah and and i and and actually um listening to to you know one of our favorite podcasts uh, do by friday alex talks about how they take drafts and sort of throw notes into drafts every day and then at the end of the day take stuff that they've taken into drafts and put into OmniFocus, which is exactly what I do as well. Hmm. But, but so it, it's like, you know, I, I'm, I, and me, like, this is, you know, something I, I mentioned a little bit about this, but I, I use my watch a lot more for, for audio when I'm just like around and I don't have my phone really close, you know, just doing like normal, like, I don't know, family tasks and that drafts works really, really well. So then I know, all right, when I'm sitting down at night, I can just go into drafts and say, what did I throw in there today? What do I need to put into OmniFocus to deal with tomorrow? And it makes me so I don't, I'm not like constantly going over lists in my head. So that's been like my personal management. This is a much bigger, like, you know, I've, I've got a team of four, well, three people who I work in my group, who I work with on a daily basis. Natalie, who really focuses on all of our outreach and extension efforts and, you know, dealing directly with making things and working with all the like stakeholders that we, that we work with on all of our projects. And then Beck, who runs kind of all the operations and money side of things, because I'm terrible at that. And then Lisa, who does all of our kitchen and, and research you know, work. She, she sort of oversees the teams on that. So, so there's already four of us that are, that are involved in stuff. So we started looking online for different ways for four people or more to, to oversee sort of multiple steps in a project. And 
there we over the last couple of years we've like looked at a couple of different things. So there was something called Monday. It used to be called something else, and then it changed to Monday, and it didn't really work for us very well. And so I reached out to a friend of mine who is like a guy I play hockey with when I used to play hockey, who is a project manager uh, for a IT group at a at a big big insurance company that you would recognize. And I sent him a message, and I was like, "All right, you guys are doing this stuff all the time for development. What do you use? Like, you know, you you've got someone who's developing some backend, and someone who's doing you know user interface stuff, and and you know all these things have to come together. What does this look like? And 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 I and and I gave him like some necessities. I was like, one, it needs to work on my phone, on my iPad, in the Mac OS, you know, system." equally as good. I don't really want to be like having to think about, I can only do this on my iPad or on my phone or whatever. So he, told, he he's the one who gave me, he said, most of the guys, most of the, the people that he works with, not guys, use this thing called Jira. And it's, it's essentially a place where you just put a bunch of stickers up, but you can put due dates in them. And you've got, you can see sort of this whole project on what are the things that we have to do? What are, what's in progress and what's the status of them? And then what's, what's done. And then within each of those sections, you can also put like specific tasks and assign them to people and put due dates on them and stuff. So anyway, it's been for, for this, like for internally, it seems to be working because it's now in my workflow. I, I wake up, I, these are the things I do. I, I turn on Twitter <laughs> To look at the dumpster because that helps your productivity. It does. I I then go through Twitter for for a few minutes and then I think, oh, I have other social media. Why don't I go look at Facebook? And then I remind myself, I'm I I, I want to be not on Facebook. So then I leave Facebook. Then oh, I open, should try the app. Uh, I should. And then I then I open up Slack because that's how we like internally talk about things, but we can't track things. It's just like, oh, what's happening. And then I, then I've got my OmniFocus and I got my, and now I have Jira. It's all part of the thing. It's like, okay, on this project specifically, what are the things I need to do today? What are, what can I put, like, what can I move from Jira into my OmniFocus that, that has just popped up and, and, and where, where is it fitting in with it, with everything else? So it's been, anyway, it's, again, I don't, there, there are probably other things out there and I'm new to this collaborative task management system, but, but Jira, J-I-R-A, Jira has been, has been pretty good. So, so check, yeah, so, check it so, out. Yeah, I got, I got a, so uh, yeah. So, and what I do basically is I just manage my relationship. I only have graduate students. I don't, I have a staff member uh, who's the graduate secretary, but I, she's not too super tech lit. And so, you know, it's, it's basically the limit of her capacity to do email and, <clears throat> she really doesn't do that all that well. <clears throat> Sorry, I shouldn't talk <laughs> talk shit about people. She's a nice lady. Um, but anyway, I cut that out. But uh, yeah, so uh, one one app that I was thinking about, which I really wanted to try to use, but I don't want to in, inflict uh, new things on my graduate students. I would rather just them manage their stuff, and I'll manage my stuff, and and we'll just communicate by email and you know, and then video calls and stuff like that. But have you have you ever heard of an app called or a, a system called Basecamp? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, so it, it's funny that like that when we did some development for our barf blog and then also mm -hmm. on a proposal that I worked with, with Larry Goodrich, our, our good friend in, in Guelph, the entire communication was on Basecamp. And you decided not to go with that because I like Slack way better. Oh, okay. Oh, but, but it seems like Basecamp will do what Jira will do, but yeah. or no. 
it, so I, yeah, it, it, it does. I, I mean, I, th I think it does, but I don't think it's as seamless in the iOS world. And okay. yeah. And, and I think the base camp usability has a lot more chat and document sharing function, which is not what we needed. Like, oh, got it. yeah, I want I, we wanted something just like, all right, let me just go see the entire project. What are the tasks mm -hmm. that we need to do? And yep, so what are the tasks? What? Yeah. Project management. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And Basecamp is like it. Uh, it is an all-in-one toolkit for working remotely, <laughs> according to their to their website. But it's it's too there. There's too much functionality there that which sounds weird. Mm -hmm. But it. But we would any, like all we needed was this extra piece because our how I didn't want to move every Slack really really works for us and and I didn't want. Oh, got it. Yeah, got I didn't want to up, upend that. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And we you know it it, it so so that I I think I think Basecamp probably puts. Slack and and something like Jira together. Together, got it. I, yeah. Oh, and the other thing too, since we're talking about uh, Basecamp, is I've I've been recently reminded about this company because they have a new uh, email app called Hey H E Y. Have uh, you heard anything no, about Hey? No, I don't know anything about Hey. Yeah, you have to you have to sign up, but apparently it's you know it's one of these. Oh, we're gonna fix email, but and and again, they've been talking about it on ATP, which I've sort of gotten back into listening to because I've you know the I'm sort of yeah whatever. I mean my. I don't, I don't know what's changed in my podcast listening world, but I seem to have a little more time. So I've, I've put that back into semi-regular rotation. But, but before we leave talking about closing Facebook and you are, you, I want to say you're a hundred percent to blame for this. I'm, you are 50% to blame for this and I am 50% to blame for this. And, and it is next door <laughs> because you, I, I have, I have, I, anyway, I have a next door account. I wasn't really using it. I because you have found some delightfully funny things on your next door, oh. I uh, put the app on my phone and I, and this is, this is a killer. This is the killer turned on notifications. Oh, let's and, see. <laughs> and you know, <clears throat> let me see if I can find. And I, you know, and I, I, on the one hand, it's hilarious, and on the other hand, it makes me so damn angry. The uh, and it's some of it, you know, some of it's interesting, and some of it's just stupid. Then the latest, oh, here's a good one. Uh, cute bug, what species? Help me ID it. And it's a Katie did. And there's a lot of people saying, oh, it's a Katie did. And and my and my smart ass answer was, well, actually, Katie did is just the family. That is not the genus nor the species. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to be helpful. So we'll we'll pass on that. But and then the other one is there's been a bunch of political posts. Oh yeah. And people saying, oh, I, I might I, maybe I muted it, but anyway, bunch of political posts, and then people complaining about political posts, and then people complaining about political posts being deleted. And, you know, anyway, I've, I've waged in a little bit to say, actually, you know, guys, it's against Facebook's terms of or next door's terms of service. If you want to talk politics, you have to go to a dedicated. And it's like this is just turning me into an angry person. And so but so I, I look at it and I get angry and then I close it. So oh, it but is, anyway, next door, check it out. It's where neighbors come together. Yeah. To, yeah. To talk oops, uh, to crap to each other. Let, let me give you some <laughs> some samplings of uh, recent next door posts here in, in North Raleigh, the Stonehenge area of, uh, of North Raleigh, North Carolina. Entitled Squirrel Needs Rehab. There's and I, I read this knowing that there's this story behind it. OK, there's a squirrel that is hiding under my car with a broken leg. Anyone know of a phone number I can call for a place that will rehab him? Animal control will kill him. That generated <laughs> that generated 30 messages. What was the outcome? People are very interested. Find out. I'm not sure what happened the, what happened after I took him to the animal hospital. It said on their website that the intake will typically provide a status update for wildlife, and I haven't heard anything. 
Oh, what else do we have here? There's a whole bunch of political stuff, but ours is really about absentee ballot requests and how that's, you know, problems with the mail services. And then people, people talking about posts and deletion of posts and First Amendment rights and then other people, you know, like me that are tempted to say, well, that's not actually what the First Amendment means. It's protecting freedom of speech to criticize the government. This is a platform. You have to actually follow their rules or they can kick you off. Anyway, it's just it just just <laughs> it's, anyway. Oh, but let's let's come oh. back to something more interesting. OK, wait, can I turn? I, yes, go ahead. Okay, well, no, because I when we do, I, I actually have a natural transition to food safety from next door right now in my hand. So you you do that, and then we'll come back to this. Okay, so I just want to say I'm back all in on OmniFocus, and it's all about the perspectives. And I just want to briefly share with you my perspectives. I have writing, consulting, food microbiology editor, peer reviews to do overdue and flagged, which I hardly ever look at, hot, which are just things which I've tagged with a, a flame emoji, <laughs> this is hot. and then eating and flagged. So I, and this is really, you know, I always, I hear Merlin's voice in my head talking about putting compost, storing compost in the crisper. But the great thing about OmniFocus is you can keep compost in your crisper. You just have to tag it. Right. <laughs> and then it's, it's not in your crisper. It's not in your virtual crisper anymore. So I, I'm really, I'm really loving. I've got I, my OmniFocus is terrible and it's full of a lot of stuff that I probably will never do, but I'm, but I'm back in and, and just really loving the power of perspectives. And I know there's a potential here to go, you know, down a rabbit hole, perspective rabbit hole. But I, anyway, I'm just really, I'm really liking it. So I cool. just want to say that. Good, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much in, in on it, and it makes it so I don't have to remember things, which is really my, my goal in life. Yeah. But I do, I do think your your idea of putting stuff in drafts first is interesting. What I tend to do is I tend to email stuff to OmniFocus, mm. so it just ends up in the OmniFocus inbox, and that's where I look for it. But, I mean, and, and drafts I'm more I'm using for writing emails or, or writing other stuff. I just need a, a plain text editor just to dump my thoughts out, where I'm gonna, then I'm going to go edit it, fix it up somewhere else. I do that in drafts, too. Like, that, that also is, is the place that that all the writing starts, but, but I also like, I'll, I'll start emails there. I'll start tweets there, but, but I'm now I just use it because the interface is so good and it works so well on my, on my watch and on, and on my phone. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of like, you know, if I, if I think of something, I'll just, because OmniFocus doesn't have a watch app, it, yes. it it's yes. like, it's the one it is like literally the one that I can use on all devices, no matter what. If I'm driving, it works really well. Even like I have trouble adding stuff to OmniFocus using Siri as well because it doesn't go for whatever reason. It doesn't recognize when I say inbox because I say it with a Canadian accent or something. Mm. But but if, so I know that if it's in my drafts that that I need to just look at it at night and make sure there's stuff that gets into my OmniFocus. There are times that I go directly into OmniFocus. Mm -hmm. All right, so the drafts. It's it's where tech starts. It's where tech starts. <laughs> it's a great app. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's we're, very good. We're all in. Okay, so I'm going back to okay. next door. Transition. Food Transition. Safety. Food safety. And there's there. This is like it could not have been perfect. It's almost like I planted this post because we we are, we're going to go into four different areas here. Mm. Post from uh, poster Paula. Last name protected for innocent reasons. Title: Possible edible mushroom identification question mark. I found, this is one day ago, I found a couple of large mushrooms today growing on a hardwood tree where a branch had fallen off. My friend said they're oysters, but I'm not sure. 
anyone out there good with wild mushrooms or know someone who is? I don't want to eat this unless I'm sure. We'll try to upload pictures, but I'd like an in-person consultation if at all possible. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm looking, looking for someone on Nextdoor to come to my house to help me with, with these pictures. I will send you a couple of pictures here so you can see these as well. And so, so Paula posts a picture. There are some gills that, go, that don't go down to the stem as I have read they should. Now, Doug writes, under no circumstances do you eat wild mushrooms. And I, I don't know if the tone is what he means. Like, do you, Paula, eat them? Or does anybody eat them? Should you eat them? I don't know. But then Paula exchanges, I have done and enjoyed them, but only with a solid positive ID, which I'm looking for. And I would rather not eat the wrong thing. I'm not pos- If I'm not positive, I wouldn't take the risk. Chris weighs in, I've eaten a lot of wild mushrooms and never had a problem over 65 years. Like this is purely, fu- this, we're in a food safety realm here, right? Yep. Then, you know, someone, Henry weighs in, you know, here's what the mushroom could be something called the veiled oyster mushroom. I don't know. Uh, if you would like a certain identification, I'd be able to examine it and gives his phone number. There's a mushroom identification. Michelle says there's a mushroom identification forum on Facebook we use. They will need pics of the gills as well. Like, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch here. Bunch of mushroom forager clubs, the, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and then, then here is where it ends, which is what really grabbed my attention. Jeffrey writes, oh, well, I think I should put on my bad idea jeans. And that's, that's it. That was the last <clears throat> comment. I don't know. I don't know where that, you know, I, I'm not sure whose bad idea it is. Anyway, so. And what are bad idea jeans? I don't know. Anyway. I don't know what bad idea, idea jeans are. So well, I'll, I'll, I'll just share the one piece of advice that I always share when it comes to mushrooms. And it, you can find it a couple different places on the internet, but we'll link to a tweet about it, which basically says, uh, there are old mushroom hunters and there are bold mushroom hunters, but there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. So take that for what it's worth. Love it. Love, yeah, absolutely. Well, and so the reason why I, I thought of this is there, you know, there's a food safety connection. We do get quite a bit of questions. I get quite a few questions about this, especially from restaurants. And we have this. So the food code actually talks about foraging for mushrooms. Are you, are you aware of this? Do you know about this? I think you've explained this to me before. Yeah. Well, I'm going to explain it to you again, Don. No, uh, go for, go ahead. not on the podcast, Ben. Oh, maybe not. Yeah. So, so there is something in the food code that basically says if you can get an identification from somebody, no, someone who's like certified uh, okay. as, a, as a wild mushroom specialist then then you, you know you you are able to include these in 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 your in your cooking so this is in in the 2017 code part 3-201.16 wild mushrooms and you know the food code is is really written in such an easy way it says ex- except as specified in section or part b of this section mushroom species picked in the wild shall not be offered for sale or service by a food establishment unless the food establishment has been approved to do so the, oh, there was some somewhere that that approval includes i don't know exactly where this is that approval includes being able to have like an expert identify them and so in our state, we didn't have a, like an, an expert to do this. There was, there was a faculty member at, I think it was App State University who, who focused on mushrooms, but would not do this identification. And so over the last couple of years, there, there's been a whole bunch of courses run by someone in South Carolina who is like a trained forager that, that our state recognizes. And if you get training from him, 
and a certification, you can go out and, and forage wild mushrooms and serve them in a restaurant, as long as you identify them and, and don't kill people with it. But but you have you got some mushrooms going on in in your backyard. Not to obsec you, but you know there's some. Well, let's just say had. Ah, <laughs> the opposite word is had, because friend of the podcast Michelle Daniluk told me that they are invasive and that she she basically traumatized me. She triggered me, Ben. So how did you get rid of them? Um, Do you go kick them? So, oh, I, no, I went. I went and pulled them out. So, so basically, I I posted uh, I posted on uh, Twitter and and on Facebook, basically what is what is essentially what we call a fairy ring, right? And so what happened was there was one mushroom, and then a little while later there was a ring of mushrooms or a semicircle, really a, a fairy semicircle. And this is a kind of mushroom, and they're they're really cool from like a from a biologic biology slash modeling perspective, like like how these rings form and how they they change in size. And, and yeah, and so we had one, a couple mushrooms, which I posted a picture of cause it was just really cool. I came out one morning and they just literally sprung up and there was a little bit of, it was, it was kind of, it's, I'll see if I can find the, the tweet for, for, for show notes, but it was kind of cool because of course I take it, my camera, my phone takes amazing cameras. I mean, my, <laughs> my, my your phone, your phone makes amazing phone calls, and and I took it. So what what I thought was a really cool picture, and then later it was turned into a, a fairy ring slash semicircle, and yeah, and and so but then Michelle was commenting that they they're invasive and they had them at their house and they never could get rid of them, and I'm like, okay, well that's fine. They're they're going in the trash, so I I pulled them up. And they're gone, so I guess I'm cursed forever. But but at least uh, I won't have mushrooms in my lawn unless they come back. I I really I really think it was a one off because uh, and I think I shared this in text with you guys that basically uh, I've seen them or maybe just with her, but I've seen them in uh, the neighborhood. I hadn't ever seen them before and I saw them in the neighborhood. So I think we just had a lot of rain and the conditions have been right in terms of humidity and, and, and rain and, and whatnot so that we got them. So I don't I don't think they'll be back, but we'll find out. Well, yeah, I we, didn't eat them. Good. Yeah. So and, and you didn't ask for anybody on next door to come identify them either. No, I, I, that would be fun, actually. For, that would actually kind of been fun. I'm thinking I'm really looking for ways to troll my neighbors on next door. <laughs> but on the other hand, that seems like not a nice thing to do. But on the other hand, kind of fun. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, a couple like there's some there's lots of food safety stuff to talk about. Um, yes. Yes. We should on. get to it. We should. So I we'll get 25 minutes in according to my call. Yeah. Recorder. Yeah. No. And, and I, so it's uh, basically I've got 20 minutes of bonus time that I've got on my <laughs> on my call recorder. here. So why don't we, we we talked in the last episode about red onions and and there hasn't been, you know, here's the. I don't know. Here's here's the update. A lot more cases as of yesterday. CDC updated their outbreak investigation page, and we're now at 869 cases in the U.S. covering all 47 states, uh, 116 hospitalizations, and we did talk about in the in the last episode that the, this this outbreak had been linked to one onion producer, and we talked a little bit about this. But I, I guess the the biggest thing that I've seen. So, so here, here's kind of the, the challenge that we have in food safety. A lot of times from, from my perspective, the epidemiology is linking red onions, right? That's, that's right. what, what we see, right? The, and in fact, I think CDC says it explicitly in here, these illnesses are, are, are really linked to consumption of, of red onions and red onion containing dishes. 
were we were not you and I don't own the onions but the company Thompson International is recalling all of their onions and, and so white red yellow sweet yellow varieties based on what what we understand is their packing line ran all of those on, onions and and they likely didn't have a, a clean break in between packing these onions and so that that's led to just a, a massive number of recalls because onions, Don, I don't know if you if you are familiar with this, they're quite a, a common ingredient in a lot of fresh foods. And so I, I tweeted about this last like I guess a week ago now, because Friday night, all of a sudden, like six recalls for things like on you know, the dips that had onion in it, some bag salads that had onion, lots of different things came up because now as we go through the the entire supply chain of where these onions went, more and more customers of it are realizing that they may have had some product that's been that's been recalled. But I I I, I worry this is the you know something that you and I I think talk about quite a bit and, and struggle with. I, I still think that the risk that we see associated with this with this outbreak is is red onions, right? Like that's what the epi is linking us to. It's not to right, say right. that there's no risk, but we just don't have any illnesses linked to the other onions. And and this is it's kind of like I, I don't know. I wanted to talk through. So that's this that's the like setting the stage, right? I don't know if there's a better way to handle it though, right? So if you don't have a clean break, right? Right. What do you? How do you manage it? Because I, if I'm a buyer, I, I certainly don't want to use a recalled onion, even though it may not be any more risk than an unrecalled onion in my product. It's it's not good optics, and and that business risk to me, it's just easier for me not to use it. But but this is re, this this outbreak is massive, and the recall that's associated with it is tens of millions of dollars if not if not hundreds of millions in product that's that's being recalled and uh, and yeah I don't know I don't know I don't know a better way to to do it because yeah so that's that it's that, that that's kind of where where I'm at with this I I would not so we we've had a couple of questions on on Twitter about it what do we what do I do what you know as a as a consumer what should I worry about and for me it really comes down to if I know, and we talked about this in the last episode, but if I if I don't know where my red onion is coming from in my home, then I don't want to use it. I, I want to, or I want to cook it and and not just saute it. I want to make sure that I'm I'm getting a really really you know likely likely reduction in in that pathogen. And and I would expect that all the onions that are on the market right now that I can buy as a consumer in a grocery store, they're not recalled ones because you know grocery stores are pretty good at making sure that they're not selling recalled products. It's you know the, we've got a lot of good systems in place. But I don't I don't know. Like I don't I don't I don't really I, I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts? How do we make this better? Or or can we? Is there any way to to sort of explain the difference between reds and whites and yellows and, and sweet yellow risk right now? Or do we kind of have to look at it all as one, you know, one thing? Well, I, th I think I think you I think you nailed it, right? It's like, well, the the outbreak is linked to red onions because of the possibility of cross contamination and lack of a clean break. More than just red onions are recalled, and so you know, don't eat recalled food. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, that, that's the, 
you know, now that's, that's the, that's the, you know, the risky or not no dithering answer, right? The, the course, the, the dithering equivocating answer, which we're allowed to do on this podcast is, well, it's complicated, right? And honestly, if you had red onions and you were starving to death and you needed to eat them and you could properly cook them, it's fine. I think if you had other onions that might've been in contact with red onions that you could properly cook, that would also be fine. But again, we also know that consumers and again this you know I'm waving my hands broadly here including myself in this people people don't always do a good job cooking their food right and so there's a potential I mean I I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that somebody eat an onion that had salmonella on it if if you know if they were supposed to cook it right I mean now if those onions went into canned soup you know well, that's fine you know or something that really is going to be full going to foolproof cook them that's fine but again it's you know that's it's hard to make things foolproof because you know fools are so ingenious as, as I, I think the quote goes so yeah no i, I absolutely I, I sent you a link to a couple of or one one page that, that has the fsis products that are recalled mm-hmm. and there's some interesting stuff on here so so the, the two that I'll I'll bring your attention to is the one at the top of this page. We'll link to this in, in show notes. It's something called a sausage breakfast scramble bowl. And it has seasoned potatoes that are cooked, cooked scrambled eggs, cheddar cheese, cooked Italian-style pork sausage, and pico de gallo. And my guess is the pico de gallo has the red onions or, or an onion that is, you know, that, that have been recalled. This is uh, Walmart makes these. And so this cooks in minutes. This is a ready-to-eat food, right? And so it, I'm, I am maybe likely, oh, I would say I'm more than likely as a consumer to heat this up. Cold, cold breakfast bowl, you know, is, is not how this product is intended to, to be uh, consumed. But that doesn't mean that everyone's doing that. So, so the, here's one like, you know, we've got all these ready to eat foods that are in here that we, that, that, it, you know, FSIS is regulating the, the sausage really that's, that's in this. And and the added pico de gallo is is what's sending this product into the into the risky. And even if someone cooks it, right? Like how would how would here's how I would handle this scramble bowl if I was to eat it? I'd probably throw it in the microwave for a minute and a half or something like that, right? Yeah. Will that will that reduce the risk of salmonella in the red onion? I don't. Maybe right. Like I mean, probably. But but it, there's so many there's a lot of dithering to do on on that product. The, yeah. Yeah, well, and then now, and so, and these are all products linked to the red onion outbreak, right? Yeah, these are, so these are products that are, I I would say that they're not linked to the illnesses. These are products. Oh, linked to the onions. To the recall. Yeah, they're ready to eat meat and poultry products containing recalled onions. Right. And so what I would say is the, the next one down, the cheddar cheese chicken salad tray. Yep. I I would eat everything on that, but the chicken salad. Right, right. Right. Yep. Um, Yep. Everything else is everything else is fine. But okay, so the, the other one that I wanted to draw your attention to is the one at the bottom. This is a po- product I've never heard of. It is Amana Meat Shop and Smokehouse Ham, water added in vinegar pickle. And so let me let me <laughs> let, let me yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. It is very interesting. So let me let me go through the ingredients and I I will see if I can find a better picture. This is just the label, but Ingredients, diced ham, water added, it says right in there, water added, cured with water, salt, sugar, sodium phosphate, sodium, and sodium nitrate, vinegar, and onions. So, so here, you know, and, and I, I don't like, I don't fall. I mean, this is the right thing to do. Like you said, don't, let's not eat recalled food. And so we're, we're recalling this product because it includes a recalled onion. I would think this is a pretty low risk product. I would think. 
you know, this is, you know, packed product. I don't know if you've, if, you know, if you've been able to see what it looks like. Uh, but I see the label. Yeah. Well, let's look. Yeah. I mean, this has been cooked, right? I mean, this is, this, you can't make ham without cooking it. I'm assuming the onions were put in the ham and then the ham was cooked, right? Well, so, I, maybe, or is it a package of, I got some cooked ham that's diced and then I add vinegar. Like it's pickled ham with, with some, with some onions in it. Like I'm, I, I think the vinegar might be our, our situation. Diced ham vinegar. Yeah. Vinegars comma onions. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, oh wait, cured with diced ham water added. It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So Yeah, well, I, 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 my, well, and here's the thing. If, if we, the food safety experts, are speculating as to exactly what the, and what would help, what would help is if we had a picture, right? Instead of just a picture of the label. But Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, and I, and, and again, I'm not going to, like, the dispute isn't, should this product be recalled? I think it should be because it's got oh, recalled well, onions in it, right? Like, well, but here, but here's the thing. If you, if a regulatory agency tells you that you need to do a recall and you can prove that your process controls the risk, you don't have to do the recall, Fair right? Enough. I mean, this, yes. this is a situation that I've gotten into a bunch of times with consulting clients where like, yeah, we think, yes, we, we source this ingredient, but we also think that we are not at risk and we don't have to do a recall. And I'm like, that's fine. Let's, let's see if we can prove that to the satisfaction of the regulatory agency, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, that, that as like, as, as well. And I think this, this came up in one of the conversations that we had on Twitter about this with our friend, uh, Julian Cox from, from Australia, where he talked about, you know, what if, what if I just like sweated the onions, would that be, would that be safe? And my response was, is it, well, is it validated? <laughs> right. Right. And this yeah. is the same thing. Like if, if Amana or whoever is making this, this product says, we we are going to assume that the that the the onions in this product like we've thought about this the onions let's not even call them right to eat let's say that our process is going to give us some you know whatever we define as a as an acceptable risk reduction five log reduction seven seven log reduction whatever it is uh, of salmonella or something else in these in these onions that we're adding into this product and then we have some some data to support that absolutely but I my guess is they'd probably like. That that's not maybe a good use of their resources up front in this. It makes sense to to investigate it afterwards, but but up up front they probably aren't doing that validation because the product is this diced ham, right? Like we're focusing on this. This the onion is is ancillary to the to this ham product. But but who knows? Maybe it is something that that they that they could generate data on, or someone else could that that shows that there is a reduction. But by the time that happens, maybe they that the you know the quality of the product is is gone, and and who knows? So so anyway, I just I just found those like I found those kind of interesting because those are like if you look at at this list of of foods, and we'll link to the CDC page in our. In, in the show notes, but, but scroll down because you'll see all of the recalls and CD and I, I don't know if CDC, this is, it's not, I like what they're doing. This is, this is a little newer than how they have handled this before because they're, they're kind of putting it all in one spot. Here are the products that have been recalled. Go to the FDA site, go to the FSIS site. Uh, here's the outbreak uh, investigation. FDA, I'm sure, will come out with some specifics on the investigation as well when they when they go out or, or, or as they do the analysis on the, that packing facility or, or whatever's happening there. But it's you know, it, it, I just I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, it's like cheese dips and spreads. A lot of those macaroni and pasta salads. Pasta. Uh, I'm sorry, pasta salads. <laughs> I knew as soon as I said that. 
<laughs> it's so funny because most of the time you could pass. I know. <laughs> and then it's and then I then I go then I talk all eaves troughs and cuddle and pencil crayons and and, and pasta. Pasta. Yeah. Pasta. How do you say, say it again? Past pasta. 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 Like like pasties. Like I guess so. Yeah. So, but but then yeah, I just I thought it was really interesting to look at what you know these what they're making in these or what 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 is being recalled, and I expect. You know, this is all stuff that's come out in the last couple of days. We're only going to see more of this, right? Like, as right. the as the supply chain becomes un, un um, unveiled a little more, as people start right. to look for it. So, anyway, yeah, you know, and I've, I've been, I mean, so while you're talking, I'm doing a little bit of googling and thinking about this. I'm still thinking about this Amana ham, and you know, I think I think you're right. It's ham in vinegar. And I haven't found a picture yet, but I've found other Amana, Amana products on, on the internet pictures. And I think it's basically vinegar and onions with some ham thrown in, right? I, yeah. And, and that, so, so, yeah. so the question is, is, is the pickle, is the, sorry, is the pH of the vinegar enough to inactivate salmonella that might be on the onions? And, and obviously maybe not, right? Right, and, right. And yes. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, exactly. Like, I think that's exactly it. And I think it's unlikely that it's heat treated. Right, I think it's well, cold. Ham is cooked, right? The but ham the is. Yeah. Well, yeah. The product. I don't know. Maybe it's. Uh, that's an interesting question. It's got to be. Uh, but it would. You would. You would. Well, is it? Oh, it says keep refrigerated. So no, it doesn't. All right. So there you go. It's not. It's not an acidified food, right? Right. Right. So it, it's refrigerated, and so it doesn't have to be heat treated, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and it may be. I don't know. That, that if anybody knows more about the Amana diced ham pickled onion dish let us know um on it but anyway this so i you know more on this as as it as it happens or not and you know it's kind of what we talked about in the last couple episodes around these these outbreaks you know, we're, we're in a situation where okay we we appear to have identified a a source and and i still think you know i, I think behind the scenes there's some story here that we we don't know all the we don't know all the particulars, and I'm sure there's some folks that listen to the the podcast that know more particulars about this that are on the inside. But there was this, you know, this this recall was was triggered by Canadian authorities going first and saying, "Hey, our epidemiology is showing red onions," and what we don't know, and and I don't know how much they've shared to counterparts in the US, but what we don't know is what it, what does that epi look like and and how what other foods were investigated and what are the you know what what might also be correlated in this. And not and again, not to say that that it isn't red onions, but what else could it be? And and as the this investigation unfolds, maybe salmonella will be found somewhere in in the you know from harvest or or production through to to packaging. Maybe it never will. And and this is it. We we just don't know what that what that source was. We just know that a whole bunch of products are recalled and 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 more. I guess more importantly, a whole bunch of people are sick. Like we're looking at between Canada and the U.S., well over a thousand. I think well over twelve hundred or something now cases. This is a big. It's a big outbreak. Yeah, um, yeah, and like, yeah. So a couple couple of things there. So number one, I also I also think it's interesting what CDC has done uh, with their recalls page because there's and again you described it, but I just want to go over it one more time. It's recalled onions, and then it lists a whole bunch of links to different recalled onions: red onions, yellow onions, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's recalled foods containing onions, and this is interesting because these are basically either yeah. So this is either. St- either stuff that's processed and regulated by FDA or stuff that might have been made 
uh, and would be regulated by states, okay, so so supermarkets, et cetera, right? And then finally, ready-to-eat meat and poultry products containing recalled onions, right? So they kind of they kind of broke it down by produce, by FDA slash state retail regulated, and then a USDA. Now, now again, we know that probably the general public doesn't know that, but it's still a, a nice sort of useful way to break it down, right? And it may make sense in terms of how they're getting the information in from people. But instead of just throwing it into a giant list of alphabetical list or something, I, I like this, right? I like this way of breaking it down. Yeah, no, I I agree, and it's and it's new i think like like you know we you, I, I don't remember it no me either like this is you you and i we look at these all the time like this is kind of what we do and and i i thought this is you know i i, I I'll, I'll commend the our our colleagues at cdc for being progressive and trying to figure out how to best manage all the information around an outbreak including the recalls and 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 i you know i wouldn't just say that it's just cdc i'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes happening be- between all the agencies on this but i like it it's the it's the place that we go for more information about the recall or about the outbreak first right so why not just have as much information as we have in the federal agencies here as opposed to sending us to to fda for more information not you know yeah and so right. yeah i really i really quite quite like how this is how this this messaging's unfolded yeah. And then the other thing, too, I want to just say, so this is information shared with us from a colleague who found out this information. So this is like, you know, secondhand. But basically, we know uh, that FDA has gone to the packing house that's implicated, right? The the Taylor, the Thompson International location that apparently these onions passed through. And they've taken a boatload of salmonella swabs and found nothing, right? And so, right. And again, there's some speculation so we think, we, well, we don't know, right? Was it contamination at the packing house? Was it contamination in the field, which then went through the packing house? And again, we know that it, we know, we think it went through the, this packing house. And and because there weren't clean breaks, clean, clean sanitation breaks, that's why the recall is expanded. I think we we know that, or at least the, we're hypothesizing that, I think with pretty good, with, with pretty good assurance that we're right there. But yeah, we still don't know what the original source of contamination was. And then even, again, talking with a colleague who who probably doesn't listen, but who may have downloaded the show in the past, she, she's, oops, sorry, they have said that, you know, it's not even clear that that the pack, this is, this is, that this packing house is implicated, right? right because right. it's a relatively small operation. Could all of these recalled products have actually passed through this one physical location? That's kind of a question mark. And again, we may never. Well, you know, I think we're going to know stuff because a friend of the podcast, uh, Bill Marler, has filed filed lawsuits and that stuff's going to get public. Right. Because these these, you know, all of that information is discoverable. And so it's all going to come out at some point. It might not be in a place it's easy to read and see, but it's all going to come out. Right. And we're going to I think we're going to learn more. I mean, maybe people will settle and it and it won't all get exposed. But I've, I've got to think that some more information is going to come out one way or the other. Yeah, I, I I hope so. And 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 for I guess like uh, revisiting the philosophy on on why you and I talk about this stuff so much is I I I sincerely hope we 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 find some sort of root cause for this so we can teach the industry or whomever in the in the food chain how to avoid this in the future so we don't have 860 plus illnesses, right? Like like it it, it certainly sucks for those who are involved. But we, the, all these illnesses can't be for for not. We've got to we got to figure out what you know. And 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 maybe 
you know, maybe it's not onions. Maybe it is onions. Maybe it's, you know, who, who and I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to both sides of the issue on it, but, but there's, there's still some uncertainty on, on, on what, you know, where, where we're looking at it. And, and we, this is one where I really do wish we got to a point and this is like, you know, so political and, and, and people are very concerned about how things might be taken out of context, but wouldn't you like to see the data set? Like like scrubbed on that just says here's how we here's how we made the decision that this is onions. Oh um, yeah, well, and you know one of the things that we've talked about in in the past on this show, which I find fascinating, is the Salmonella St. Paul outbreak, yeah. right? Where it was tomatoes until it wasn't, right? <clears throat> and so yeah. what what does the what does what do the what does the epidemiology look like, right? Where what are the what do they call it the R R values uh, oh, the no. Anyway, the the odds ratio. Odds, odds ratio. Right? What, what are the odds ratio for the different foods? Right, and we'll link to to get an idea of what we're talking about. We'll link to the Salmonella St. Paul article, which I think is MMWR, or or emerging infectious diseases. But to get an idea of what we're talking about, right? So basically, what it says is, okay, so so here here are the foods, here are the people that got sick. Not it's not not always 100 percent. Right. So, and so the, the question is, what are the odds that it was this food that made these people sick? And you're looking for an odds ratio that where the confidence interval does not span one. So one basically says it's even odds, you know, whether you ate the food or not that you got sick. And so we're looking for an odds ratio of greater than one where the confidence interval doesn't span one. Right. And so if it's above one, the food is risky. If it's below one, that food is actually protective. Right. And so or, the you know, if you if you ate this food, you're un, less likely to get sick. And and for most foods, the odds ratio just spans one, which basically says this food is, does not, you know, we, it doesn't it doesn't add or subtract from from your add or or, or not add to your to your risk. So yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. I want I want more data. Uh, me too, me too. And what would be so? I'm let's put a call out because there's there you know we know there's a few people who are epidemiologists that listen to to this podcast, and we know that there's some folks at at CDC. And it's like, it'll be really hard to do something like this, but we might be a good venue for someone to, to sort of come on and share a data set and walk you and I through this for like for the listeners on how these decisions get made. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think it would be, I, you know, I would really enjoy that, but it also might go a long way in the world of science communication to say here's how we're making decisions and and why we're why we're pointing at red onions right you know right now and what you know it allows us you and I to ask some questions which I'm sure the epidemiologists are asking internally of like well what would sway it away from this for this odds ratio how how many more illnesses not associated with red onion consumption would you would you have to see to to make it like how how close to being certain are we and what are those what are those thresholds look like for this particular outbreak and then really like getting the canadian perspective on it too i mean I, that sounds like a really good you know session for iafp in in 2022 <laughs> to, to to talk through because i think that would be yeah i'm just cool. i'm just looking at the salmonella st paul outbreak it was 1400 people right i had forgotten it was so huge yeah i re i mean that that happened that was the what was that summer of uh, was that 2008 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I mark all of my life events in uh, foodborne illness outbreaks. <laughs> do you do that, Don? Do you remember things based on what was going on in the food safety world at the time? Like, I can barely remember anything, Ben. I have to check my CV. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to check my CV and OmniFocus, things that I've done and things that I have to do. So, Seminole St. Paul, I think it was like June or, or July, Danny was pregnant with Jack at the time and and it was in the 
right, like that outbreak was happening as I was preparing for and going through the interview process here at NC State for oh, my wow. for my job. So it, it yeah for my work I, I did I did the Samuel St. Paul for my work, but but I I used it as an example in my you know you got to give a presentation on on extension and, and outreach and sort of used things that I had been writing about in Barf Blog to talk about how how I do extension and and that that outbreak and and our friend Michelle Daniluk had had I believe just started at at Florida at the same, you know, at the same time and was dealing with like being a brand new faculty member and a collapsing tomato industry who she supported from a food safety standpoint, because the implication was, was initially tomatoes. And so I know that that is still, you know, uh, 12 years later is still a real hurt, hurt point for the tomato industry being sort of identified as the source of this outbreak and, and then ultimately not, but, but the, the costs were in the millions. Well, and yeah. and same thing here, right? Like yes. you never know the future. We could be throwing the onion industry under the bus, and it might not be them, right? Oh, and, and uh, we, yeah. And so, just to correct something I said before, the the outbreak that the manuscript I'm thinking of was actually New England Journal of Medicine, and so we'll link to the CDC page about the outbreak, but we'll also link to the NEJM article, which which had the case control studies and the odds ratio, or yeah, the odds ratios. Yeah, yeah. but and, and I guess like and it, I don't know, just to to put a point on this. It would be great to see this data now as it's evolving in real time. And, and I, I don't know, uh, I say that, but then, then I'm like, but let's also let the experts do their job. So I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm all over the place on, on this one. I would love to see the, when, when, when we can see it just to understand more about how decisions are, are made and not criticize or question them, but just to understand more about it. That's, I guess my, my call. So. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I understand why they don't uh, give that information out because people might misinterpret it. But I would I would love to the opportunity to speculate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and here. Let's, so let's transition to Cyclospora, which is. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We're, we're in a we're. So this is a really, you know, a little, little update on this big outbreak. Let me let me find our cyclosporos cyclosporosis outbreaks infections linked to bag salad mix. This is another CDC update that's come out since our last episode, and we are looking at the August fourteenth update. So now in this outbreak, we've got six hundred ninety confirmed cases in thirteen uh, states. Epidemiologically, back in June, this was this outbreak was linked to Fresh Express products, you know, and private label brand solid products that came from one facility in Streamwood, Illinois. But so here, here's what, let me, so that's, that's the, that's kind of the outbreak, but FDA has released an investigation outbreak also on the same day that says this, uh, and I'm going to read directly from it because I think it's really quite, quite fascinating. FDA's traceback investigation identified several farms in the U.S. that may have provided product used in the Fresh Express salads that were recalled. FDA investigated multiple farms identified in the traceback. In Florida, FDA analyzed water samples from two public access points along the Regional Water Management Canal, which is Canal C-23, located west of Port St. Lucie, Florida. These samples tested positive for cyclospora I always struggle with this one. Schnitzel. That's the one that Danny can't, she can't pronounce schnitzel very well. <laughs> so a little, little, uh, little family excitement there. Using FDA's validated testing method. Given the, given the emerging nature of genetic typing methodologies for this parasite, the FDA has been unable to de- determine if the cyclospore detected in the canal is a genetic match to clinical cases. 
Therefore, there's currently not enough evidence to conclusively determine the cause of this outbreak. Nevertheless, the current state of the investigation helps advance what we know about cyclospora and offers important clues to inform future preventive measures. FDA is working with the state of Florida and the local water district in the area to try to determine the source and impact of cyclospora in the canal. So here, let, let me give you my, my like, I guess, quick summary of, of what this is saying. We, 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 we believe that the illnesses are linked to this one processing facility in Illinois. When we went back from that processing facility to suppliers around the time that the outbreak has, has happened, it led us to a series of production areas, one of which, or maybe all of it, are in Florida. That part we actually don't know. But investigators went to this production area in Florida, said, okay, we know that you shipped some lettuce to, to this, this processing facility in Illinois around this time. Let's start looking in water systems around, around this area. And then found cyclospora in, in public, you know, in the, in a, in a water management canal that, that is used to, and, and I'll, you know, our, our friend Michelle Danilek kind of explained this to me and, and you offline on this. It's not like overhead irrigation. It's, it's seepage irrigation, I think is the, or seepage. Is, is that the term? Oh, so I'm totally like, so. yeah, where basically they increase the amount of water in the canals, which increases the water that seeps from the, the water table up into the, into the, where, where the roots of the, of lettuce are. So it's not direct. It's like, as she kind of described to to us, kind of like a sand filter in those. And you can only do it in sandy soil areas with a really high water table. And so, so I, I you know, I, I tweeted about this on, on, you know, whenever it was Friday, when they, when they brought this out saying, you know, this is, there's something, there's something good and progressive about this. We, we often would not get updates of uncertainty or where an outbreak is publicly, right? Like we might hear about this in phone calls or now on Zoom uh, meetings about what CD, what FDA is looking at and what they're thinking about. And we may even have some conversations directly with folks who are, who are looking at data about, about thoughts about what, what they're seeing. It's not very often that we get like a public like, here, here's where our investigation is, is pointing. And, and also saying, nevertheless, or no, sorry, like nevertheless, there's not enough information to conclusively determine the cause. So, so it's, it's like, here's a nugget of where we think is, is what we think might be happening, but we don't right now have enough information to, to draw this, to draw this line. And I can see the industry not being happy with that. And I can see me and you on the communication side and, and management and public health side of things being more interested in this because we like to speculate and we like to focus on what might be happening. And I, I and I fully get the sort of industry backlash around this, but I, I do also think it it pulls back the curtain on what's happening a little bit more and allows for everybody to have some sort of a, a dialogue about it, and and it forces that dialogue to be in a more public nature than it has been in the past, and that makes things makes people really uncomfortable. So, so, you know, that basically what I, what I, what I'm seeing here is we don't know, but we found some cyclospora close by. Right. And, and we don't. Right. Well, we, well, yeah. we, we found some cyclospora close by to one of the places where we think this product may have come from. Yeah. We can't 
we can't match it, right? And it's not because we we didn't match it. It's because the uh, quote, given the emerging nature of genetic typing methodologies for the parasite, right? And so that's good. It's not good news, but it's good news that like that's going to get better, right? Our yeah. molecular typing methodologies for Cyclospora are going to get better, and that's going to help us hopefully eventually, uh, you know, ping it, uh, tie it back to some environmental contamination. I think the 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 sand filter, the seepage irrigation is interesting. So we'll link we'll link to. Uh, a page uh, from Cornell entitled The Eastern Broccoli Project, which wouldn't seem to not be relevant, but it actually has some nice pictures of seep- what seepage irrigation looks like. But that points to some interesting questions. So if the, if the product doesn't actually get wet, but you're basically just raising, essentially raising the groundwater, uh, that, I, that makes me wonder about root infiltration, right? Which we generally think is not a risk, where uh, you have to get massive levels in the water for it to get into the pr- the crop. I mean, yeah, this is uh, this going to be this is going to keep us scratching our heads for a while. Yeah, and and one, I guess one thing to to sort of mention about the root infiltration side of things is that I think what we've seen with root infiltration is with bacterial pathogens. And cyclospora right. is a much uh, larger, cycl- yeah, much right. larger organism. Right. So I I would think that it would be a um, you know, uh, unlikely, but could we have root attachment as opposed to infiltration? And that, you know, what does that mean for the, for this product? I don't know. I don't know. And I think about like, you know, this is, this is one where it's not this type of product, but well, I mean, it is, it's a lettuce, but you think about that, the, the butter lettuces that are sold um, in the bag with roots on from a hydroponic setting, not this setting and the risk differences that those products may have compared to something that's field cut and the roots remain below the, you know, below the, the, the soil. (laughs) But, but yeah, so I, I guess like more on this, maybe as it unfolds, I I know many, like we, we're not, if, if right, we don't not. learn anything new, right? I mean, yeah. this is this is the state of this is the state of food safety world, right? Like there'll there'll be updates until they're not. What, right? And and we'll and we'll solve it, or we won't. And and this is, I, I guess, the thing that I the my biggest takeaway from this is that we're we're learning more about things along the pro- process in a public way than we ever have before. And, and which, which I think is we both agree is it, it definitively good. Good. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think it helps. It helps the the industry, the academics, the regulators have this conversation. We it forces us to be a little more um, knowledgeable, I guess, about what's happening to understand it to help explain what 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 it means for you know in my case consumers or restaurants or or producers that are that are working in this in this area, and and that's that's good like like learning about this two years from now and is not as I don't know not as important as as it is right now because we we get to see it unfold in in somewhat real time. Yeah. Okay, so there was one, and I haven't even opened up the Dropbox folder, so who knows who knows what's in there. Oh, yeah. so one one brief bit of follow up from someone who I'm assuming listens to the podcast, although she didn't say it. So I got a <laughs> I got an email out of the blue. I will give you the entire email with all the context. Basically, this email says so that the subject is chives and green onions. 
and then there's pictures. And then it says, although they may look similar and have been used interchangeably, chives and green onions are two completely different species. Flavor-wise, green onions have a mild oniony flavor that is perfect for cooking. Meanwhile, chives have a delicate oniony, have a delicate oniony <laughs> with a hint of garlic. That's the entire email. There's Love no it. other context. This is a person that I correspond with regularly on for, with food safety related information. I've I've got to think that this is in it, response to me saying they're the same thing or I, me making some statement to this effect on the podcast. I absolutely agree and it was it was kind of cool to see this to see this message without <laughs> outing this person because I was like, "Oh, that is like we, you know, this is the 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 benefit of having a podcast, right? You and I are having a conversation and our <laughs> listeners think that we're having a conversation with them and I want them to think that, right? Like that this this is great. So it's fully out of context. So we off of that that chain i also had a conversation with this individual about other things that i've learned about in north carolina <laughs> since moving here including ramps do you know about uh -huh. ramps don these are not uh, things that my kid goes off on a skateboard but they're what i'm thinking yeah yeah they're yeah. wild wild onions in, that are that grow in in, oh. in appalachia in, oh, and okay. used in a lot of western carolina uh, Western North Carolina dishes, and they're another like they're wild onions that are really garlicky, and and so this person said, ah, I always assumed that ramps were the same thing as scallions and green onions. So <laughs> I and so I went back with with my 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 newfound or relatively newfound knowledge in the in the area of ramps. So. And ramp, for for the, I mean, yeah, I'm sure we can. I'll find out Wikipedia page here. But ramp. there's there's, a, there's actually a good Huffington Post article entitled "What Are Ramps Anyway and Why Do Food Lovers Freak Out Over Them?" So we'll, we'll link to that. Good. The best collard greens that I've ever had. Also, something that I'd never had until I moved oh. to North Carolina had ramps and fat back in them, and it was they were amazing. Like it was garlicky and fatty, and you know all the all the things that are probably terrible for you. Yeah, I I, I have to say too, like two things. So there's there's a bunch of stuff that I learned to like while I lived in the South and still like. And one would be collards and the other would be turnips uh, and turnip greens. And so, yeah, so big, big thumbs up for co both collard greens and turnip greens. What, so I, there was only one other thing on my list. And again, nothing from the Dropbox because I didn't look at there at all. But there you and I talked, I think, quite extensively about chick frozen food and, and COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 last week. But I guess the follow-up from that was there was a USA Today article that really, I, I think, has made the rounds. There's not a lot of information in this article, but basically says, yes, there might be, you know, okay, so I'll read the headlines. Chicken wings from Brazil tested positive from co for COVID-19, question mark? Yes, but there's no evidence of food transmission, experts say. And I've seen this thing shared all over the place. So, and basically it's just... WHO and CDC being quoted in this story. There's not much there, but, but this, like it was top news in Apple news. It was came up in my Twitter feed multiple times. I saw it being shared on Facebook, even though I'm mainly not on Facebook anymore. And, and so I, you know, I think this, this message is, is, is sort of getting out there and, and, uh, you know, just to, to reiterate the stuff that we talked about, is it, is it possible to find, you know, viral RNA on 
on foods and food packaging. Yes, is there a likelihood of of getting uh, you know getting infected from SARS-CoV-2 from it? No, we just we just haven't we just don't have those those examples and the biology is is makes it like it's winning the lottery. But but anyway, the, the, I, the, this conversation I think has it will will not probably go away in in the course of the pandemic and probably beyond. But it, it was kind of nice to see like, oh, there's a USDA, USA Today article that was getting shared all over the place that wasn't you and I, didn't go into very much de- detail, but basically said, yeah, experts say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to find, I know I was quoted on in one article, but obviously not, uh, not the USA Today one. And I can't find the one that I was quoted in because it's always good to link to stuff when we get quoted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I, uh, yeah, I did. You, I did an article or a, a Skype interview with Voices of America. Oh, Voice yeah. How did America. that go? It was great. It took literally a minute and a half. I said, okay. That's I need, what they said. Yeah, That's I need. Said, I, yeah. I, I need like. I need you to say like. You're well. I'm not need you to say. He's like, okay. Give me. Give me like three quick quips about you about this. And so I said that, and and then it, it's being broadcast uh, by the Voices of America military network in Eastern Europe right now. <laughs> Same yeah. thing. Food. Food. Yeah. No. No evidence of it being a source, and un- unlikely to cause the illness. Not the right vehicle. So. No. Oh, actually, oh no, where I was quoted was NPR, and so that's it's always good to get quoted in NPR because all my lefty yeah. <laughs> friends listen, listen slash read, and yeah, so good job, good job. Yeah, what else? What else we got? So now, now I'll go and, and take a look at the at, at what we have in our in our Dropbox to see if there's anything we want to talk about. Chives versus green onions, check. Outbreak among employees in a meat processing facility, South Dakota. Yep, people get sick uh, when they work close together. What else? Any, anything else you wanted to talk about? There's actually very little new in here. We, I think we've kind of talked about all this stuff that's in the in our Dropbox. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I'm I'm continuing to listen to this week in virology. They had a really good short episode with some folks that studied. I had a model for spread in schools, which I thought was was good. I'm interested to see more models come out of you know computer models of various types. I'm still really interested in in doing some computer modeling for let's say spread in a grocery store just don't have the, the bandwidth right now but again maybe uh, maybe in in some time to come with with some funding uh, oh very excited to get into the lab and start doing some work with bacteriophage phi 6 uh, which is an, an enveloped bacteriophage which we think might be a good surrogate for uh, SARS-CoV-2 at least that's what we're hoping so in, uh, excited to get into the lab this fall and start doing some cross-contamination research with that organ survival and cross-contamination research with that organism so yeah it's it's going to be some interesting interesting times coming with with respect to you know COVID-19 and the food supply I mean you know again no no evidence that it is shed by food or, or is, is spread by food or food packaging but we still you know are very concerned about environments where there is food Food and foods being grown, or or animals are being slaughtered or 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 processed, and and what the risks are there. Um, so yeah, so just everything sort of continues to to evolve. It's been nice. It's been nice. Not it's not nice that people got food poisoning, but it's it's been nice to talk about things other than COVID nineteen and the food supply, and a little bit talk about cyclosporin and salmonella. Again, it's a tragedy. People are are sick, you know, and 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 industries affected, but but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. It's uh, I, I, I. So just as as an aside, last night I got a message from someone who listens to the podcast and runs runs a farm in in the Northeast and said, "Hey, we've got a farm around here who's now had an out 
uh, a cluster of illnesses associated with uh, his harvesting crew and his 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 staff. And you know, it, it, what do how do how do we help them? How do we how do we a help the people that are sick? B you know work with the with the farmer on you know strategies for for you know risk reduction to make sure that more people don't get sick. And and you know see the social media and Facebook's kind of blowing up saying that that this farm is you know is something something place that we should avoid not not for food safety reasons but because this outbreak has has happened and we're the, you know this is one of those things that I struggle with because we're we're gonna see this I mean over and over and over again as we continue to see community spread and and. And and it's it's not going to go. We and we've experienced it quite a bit already in the last five months. But but with more spread is going to become more farms and more restaurants and more grocery stores with illnesses. And there's not, I don't know. There's there's not like a really good set of set of answers that I that I can help this this person with, other than saying, you know, share all the things that you've been that you've been doing and and how you you're equipping your staff with the best available knowledge and tools to, and, and thinking about social and physical distancing and, and, and doing cleaning and disinfection. And, and I, I, the, the, you know, the message that I, that I get back, which is, and I guess a little bit concerning is, yeah, we give them a lot of tools, but, but I, you know, it's, it's really their responsibility as workers to, to practice this stuff safely. And I'm like, ah, it's not, it's not the, not way, the right message. Yeah. yeah, it's not. You know what? It's it's that it's not. It's it's all it's all of us. It's not. It's not. It's neither one or the other, <laughs> right? Like, how do we do right. this? So right, right. Hey, yeah. so I'm I, a while back when the pandemic struck, I started throwing listener feedback into a subfolder on my email rather than dropping it into uh, Dropbox. So uh, this is the oldest one. Okay, okay. <laughs> so apologize to uh, listener John. So basically, he said it'd be fun. It'd, it'd be fun, I-T apostrophe D, it, it'd be fun to get your commentary on this image. And I just sent you the image via text. So, uh, Ben, can you describe the image and give me your commentary? I, I will, I will. So, so this, <laughs> I, I see that this image comes from Reddit. Yes, and it is good. five pieces of what looks like maybe a white, white bread or, or a whole wheat bread that are in Ziploc bags. And they are there in almost all three, four, three out of the, out of the five, there are noticeable mold designs on, on the bread. They are labeled and I will read from left to right. Chromebooks, one wiped on Chromebooks, two is fresh and untouched, which is control fresh, three dirty hands, unwashed, touched, four soap and water and soap and water and five hand sanitizer. And so what I, what I think is happening here is that Ben, let's be clear. Someone did an experiment. Someone did an experiment <laughs> with a control, Don. With, with a control. With, so, yeah. Exper- well done. Experimental design with control. The experiment was, I believe, take take some bread and wipe it on a Chromebook uh, and see if mold grows. Number two, don't do anything to it. Number three, have some dirty hands and handle it. And then uh, number four, wash your hands with soap and water and then handle it. And number five, have dirty hands again with hand sanitizer and and use and and then put this bread into bags. 
And so I, I'll describe again. One, the wiped on Chromebooks has a lot of like blue style mold on it. Number three, mm-hmm. Dirty Hands has some blue and yellow and some white mold on it. Number five, the hand sanitizer has similar to the Dirty Hands and looks like there was uh, you know a, a spore or a colony of mold that that hit one spot on on this uh, on this bread and, and grew from the side. And uh, the control doesn't look like, I mean, they're, it, yeah, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot. And soap and water doesn't look like there's a whole lot. So that that's what I see. I have questions. Don, <laughs> do you have questions? Okay, go. Yeah, yeah question, question for no, the- No, I got answered, but good, no, good. I don't, no questions. <laughs> que- questions for the for the Reddit poster. Uh, what, what What's our time frame here? What were the mm-hmm. conditions that they were stored on under? And what, and, and, and thirdly, what do they think it shows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, I- I have some conclusions for you, Ben. My conclusion would be if you want your bread to not get moldy, don't touch it or wash your hands with soap and water. But, you know, hand sanitizer does not prevent moldy bread, I guess would be my message. Well, I guess maybe in in a question for the poster, how many times did you replicate this? Is this, is this, is this, this is five unreplicated samples, right? Maybe do, uh, maybe do, I don't know, another, because it's pretty cheap, you know, you you got a whole loaf. Bread. Why not, why not repeat this experiment? I mean, how many how many slices in a loaf, right? You got probably twenty slices. Repeat the experiment three more times. Do it three, yeah, exactly. Three more times. Same same Chromebook. Use a different Chromebook, maybe. Use a different uh, Chromebook. Yeah. Hey, it's a MacBook. Use a MacBook. Use a, use a, use a, use a PC. What if, what if you used? That's you... kind of that's kind of derogatory. I mean, you know, what if? Because uh, I mean, that's that. You know, maybe Macs are cleaner. I. Hey hey, what you know <laughs> what I, you know one of the conclusions I take away from this is Chromebooks are moldy. Oh, they are really moldy. Moldy Chromebooks. Show title. So what if you just used a regular book? <laughs> what just like a <laughs> just a book that's on your shelf? Like I've got a right right here that I that I, I, I boost up my, my microphone on. I've got four books. I think we could use any of them. One is uh, Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing in America. <laughs> One is Shaky Neil Young's biography. One is oh. Ancient Gonzo Wisdom, which is the interviews with Hunter S. Thompson, and another one is the Book of Basketball by Bill Simmons. And I think I I would bet that each one of these books would give me a different mold profile, if if any. Uh, on well, I, you uh, know, yeah. and I, I'd like to compare them to uh, the mold profile on canned foods: principles of thermal process control, acidification, and c- container closure evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yes. <laughs> Which I handle a lot with my perhaps moldy hands. With your moldy hands, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, that's that's our t- that's our take. And and I guess the you know with without being so tongue in cheek with this, what I think this shows is that there's mold in lots of places. <laughs> and does mold make one sick? Well, probably unlikely. In some cases, it might. But but, it, but you it's know not really good for growing mold is bread. <laughs> Bread's really good for growing mold. In fact, it's where where we grow a lot of good mold. Uh, <laughs> Good mold. I, all the great mold. All the great molds you know, come from bread and other and other places. Breads and cheeses. <laughs> ah, so is that a show? Do you think? Well, Would, you know. So here's the thing: we still got a little bit of time. We do. The top of the hour, and I've still got more listener oh, feedback. Yeah, so let's, do it. Let's do just it. Try to crank through a few more. Now, this one. It's it's kind of dated, but let's just cross it off because I feel we owe we owe Zach oops we owe uh, name redacted a, an answer. He says hi, Doctor Don and Professor Chapman. So so props there for calling us by our correct titles. Medium time listener, second time caller. I have believe it or not a coronavirus question. And this is from March. Oh, March twenty twenty. Perfect. So we've we've answered this before, but we'll 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 answer it now specifically for listener redacted. Re the foodborneness of this thing. A lot of people including yourselves, have pointed out that stomach acid is likely to break the virus down. However, 
I take a daily medication that blocks, completely blocks production of stomach acid. How might that affect things? I should mention that I'm not at all worried about contracting COVID-19 via food, just curious. Of course, I am super worried about getting it through other most, more likely vectors. I've often wondered about my, if my lack of acid might increase, increase my foodborne illness foodborne illnesses in general actually so yeah so so thanks thanks actually deep gum he gives his his code word deep gum so thanks deep gum for this i also take a uh, proton pump inhibitor i take nexium take it every every day otherwise i get i get heartburn and i think it, it we do know that these uh ppis or or and there's there's another class of compounds that work by a different mechanism they definitely do increase your risk of foodborne disease um probably not your risk of of covid foodborne disease, but, but for sure they do increase your risk of foodborne disease. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and there's, I'm, I'm sure, well, I know we, we can link to a, a couple of articles that, we, that have come across our, our email inboxes and in the internet over the last couple of years that, that uh, highlight that. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I'm seeing. One would be on the article in Foodborne Pathogens and Disease from 2011 entitled Occurrence and Prevention of Foodborne Disease in Vulnerable People. And this article basically does talk about risks from uh, proton pump inhibitors. Let's see. Oh, it looks like it's not uh, the relative susceptibility that they're calculating. It shows actually um, not, uh, doesn't seem to be on the on the list. So that, that would be good. Okay. Malnutrition and use of antacids, particularly proton pump inhibitors also increase susceptibility. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, oh, hmm. so it's not in their list, but anyway, oh, oh, sorry. Oh no. Prostate. Nope. Anyway. So yes, it does increase your risk. So, so be, be aware. Yeah. And I will, will I'll send you this one, Don, there was uh, an article in PLOS one from in 2016, this is the one that I, I think I remember, uh, and it's not ex it's not explicitly from foodborne illness, but it's the use of proton pump inhibitors and risk of hospitalization from infectious gastroenteritis. And really, that infectious gastroenteritis is uh, they're talking about you know lots of different foodborne illness issues. So so essentially, they they do show this increased increased risk. Among current users, a dose-response relationship was observed between the average daily dose dispensed per day and infectious gastroenteritis hospitalization. Yeah. So what's the what's the actual increased risk? I'm always interested to know, like, what's the yes. like how many times does it increase your risk? And I think they say in here it's oh, average two point two. So you're twice as likely. Yes. It looks like yeah, twice as likely to to be hospitalized. To be hospitalized. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So make you know, the the idea that it it can make what that that it, it is can can lead to more serious infections, which is probably also linked to more likely to be infected. But that's not what this paper is about. Right. Right. Cool. Uh, so let's do let's do a couple more if you've got time. Yep. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. So yeah. So uh, Deep Stack writes. I imagine and this is again from March 2020. I imagine this question applying pretty well to either of your great shows. So your choice. Well, uh, it, you sent it to us via Food Safety Talk, so that's where we're going to talk about it. Uh, I volunteered at a once a month food pantry event on Saturday. This was my first time, so I didn't know what to expect. They explained to me that the normal pr processes were out the window for COVID-19 and the entire event was held outside to facilitate social distancing. Also, we I think we now know uh, outside also seems to reduce risk just on its own. Volunteers boxed up the food and loaded the boxes directly onto the cars of the recipients to reduce everyone's exposure. This still resulted in volunteers getting closer than six feet. 
but at least it cuts significantly into recipient volunteer interactions. Did we talk about this already? I don't, I don't, I can't remember, oh, but let's keep, keep going. Familiar, but that's yeah, okay. Keep going, um, keep going. The food was overwhelmingly packaged. The only exception I noted was cabbages. The air temperature was right around freezing. Okay, this is March, so sorry, this is old. Most <laughs> volunteers were wearing gloves. We were instructed to take off our gloves briefly to apply hand sanitizer, oh. but no effort was made to sanitize the exterior of the winter gloves. This seems like food safety theater to me. Well done, Ooh, sir. Well nice. ahead of the Atlantic article. Am I missing something? Perhaps to satisfy the letter of a state requirement? What would you recommend for sanitary working in winter gloves? Nice Ooh. question. Wow. Okay. So, so two things. I'm not going to answer that question first, but I am going to, I'm going to answer a different question, which is, okay. So people got a little close, you got closer than, than six feet. What, what you know, and, and again, there's nothing, there's just have to come back to, there's nothing magical about six feet and there's nothing magical about what, what CDC says is close distance, which is 15 minutes or close, close contact, which is 15 minutes within six feet, you know, cumulatively. So, having a, a brief interaction there's still there's still risk there but it's much less risk right it's persistent interaction one thing and what this this actually made me think of is as i've gone through drive throughs over the last little while to pick up food or to do curbside pickup for food I, I notice and i don't know don if you've and again, we'll get to the winter glove part of this in a second but have you you know if you're in your car and you go through a drive-through window or you get curbside, for me, I'm wearing a mask, right? I don't want any interaction with that individual. Even if there's plexiglass, even if they're coming out and they're wearing a mask, I want both of us to be wearing a mask, even though it's going to be for a short amount of time. And me, like for a couple of reasons. One is it's easy, right, to do. And and back in March, I think when this question came in, I don't know if we're really, really focused on on face coverings as, as much as we we are now. But have you seen what? You, what's your experience in curbside and other people, and whether you're wearing a, a, a face covering when you, when you're picking up food? So a couple points. No hablo uh, curbside. So <laughs> we don't do curbside pickup. We I either go I get takeout, in which case I go into the store, or uh, actually, and it's my wife that's doing most of the shopping, and she actually goes into the store as well. So we're doing things to to socially distance, but we're not doing curbside. I think if you're doing curbside, masks are a good idea. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, and I'm happy to come back and talk about food safety and winter gloves. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Well, and and I guess the. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about food safety in our gloves. So, so for th this one, I, I think that sanitizing my hands under winter gloves is probably not doing anything from Agreed. a risk reduction standpoint. Agreed. Uh, I also think that winter gloves are probably not a real good way to transfer the virus, right? Being that they're right. fabricy, you know, the, there may be some some persistence of virus in them. And in fact, this might be something that we should sort of put on our list to to investigate a little bit. But I, I, I think they're I think it's really, really low risk and I think it's hygiene theater. Yeah. And again, to to Mr. Stack, Professor Stack, Dr. Stack, uh, to his question, the food was overwhelmingly packaged. The only exception I noted was cabbages. And I don't know about you, Ben, when I eat, when I bring cabbage into the house, uh, first thing I do is I'm going to peel off a couple of outer layers. Yep, yep. And so I would say the cabbage actually comes with its own packaging. So yeah, 100% hygiene theater, no reason to sanitize. It seems perfectly reasonable to use winter gloves. I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't recommend an over glove. 
you know, an over plastic glove to go over your winter gloves? No. I mean, so from, from a COVID-19 prevention, stay far apart, wear masks, doing it outside is a great idea. From a food safety perspective, sanitizing is, is nonsense. And again, to, to deep snacks, point. Maybe it was a uh, requirement, a state requirement to sanitize your hands, you know, but when wearing gloves before putting on gloves, I mean, it just, it just seems silly, but whatever. I mean, it's not going to probably do any harm. Right, right, right. And, and I, I would say from the winter glove standpoint here, like from a management, what, what, what I want my volunteers to do, don't take them to the bathroom when they go, right? Leave your gloves off Yep. because I'm more concerned about the, you know, the pathogens that might be in in the restroom that could then be transferred through poop onto right. that onto that cabbage and and but I but I truthfully I think that's it and then maybe instruct people to launder them so they're not you know becoming a a, a niche for for any foodborne pathogens and I think that's even really really unlikely so yeah no I'm I'm with you not risky is that the same is that it this this show no, I'm, uh, well, I do. I do want to say, like, like I do want to give a brief. I want to do a brief plug anyway for uh, riskyornot.co or or our podcast called Risky or Not, a short podcast about everyday risk from germs and and other things. So we talked about vaping, which is not really germs, but but so any basically anything we want to talk about. But it's going to be mostly focused on germs, and it's mostly going to be focused on food. It's a it's a cool podcast. We're we put out three episodes a week, or we're trying to put out three episodes a week, and we are hope. Oh, so so the rule rule of this show if. When it's in the show, it's in the show. The rule with that show is it's probably not in the show <laughs> because <laughs> because we do I do cut out the interstitial dialogue. Although at one point you did flub an opening, which I thought was really funny, so I left that one in. Good. But 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 I do want to say that we have a huge backlog. So if you are listening to this and you also listen to Risky or Not, we have a huge backlog. We'll get to your questions eventually, unless we don't. But we're going to do our we're going to do our best to do that. But it's it's a it's a fun show to do, and and so and really seems to have resonated with people. And so we love doing it. And we're going to keep doing it. So, all right. So just one or maybe one or two more here, Ben. So first one uh, from Frank, he says, hi guys, you know, share all details freely. There's no question here. Just a quick note to thank you for all you do to provide such insightful, empowering and timely food safety information, especially now during the COVID-19 situation. It is so invaluable and so much appreciated. So thank you, Frank. We appreciate it. Honestly, it's the only thing keeping me sane right now. Well, uh, thanks, Frank. I, I would suggest a backup plan. Please, please find something else besides us to help keep you sane. Yeah. Because uh, we—that's a lot. That's a heavy load for us to carry. But thanks. Uh, I look forward to potentially getting to meet you at CFP later this year. Wow. Sorry, Frank. CFP didn't happen. Uh, this was message was also sent back in March. So uh, yeah. So we'll, Frank, we will meet you someday at CFP. But it didn't happen this year. So. Yeah. And we promise to we'll buy you a drink at at, at CFP. And yes. And, yeah. Even you, you know what? Even if it's not at the uh, like free bar, <laughs> I'll buy you. A- I'll buy a, I'll buy a paid buy one. Drink that he has yeah. Paid. yeah. We, yeah. we, we love our listeners. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, <laughs> sorry, I'm doing, I'm now doing impressions to, of, of people doing impressions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. What's his name is, is more Fauci than Fauci himself. We, we talked about this on the last episode. Brad yes. Pitt. Yeah. Uh, he's more, more Fauci than Fauci himself. So this is, this is uh, from a person who wants us to interview their CEO, oh. but they, but they, they do do food safety stuff, but, but yeah, I mean, so there's, again, there's an IFP connection here. I won't read it, but yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think we're going to have a, we're going to interview. I don't know. I mean, sorry, we're probably not going to interview your CEO. It's probably, and here's the thing. It's probably not going to be good. Like <laughs> for, for a variety of reasons. 
one, when we, when we do have guests on, it's usually like prompted by something that we've talked about or like, Hey, we should have this person on. Right. Or it's, you know, friends, friends of ours who we, who we have a, a previous relationship with, or our, maybe it's not our first interview, but the most notable interview came out of raw milk Amsterdam and where we talked about raw milk and, and had David Gumpert on, which, which was not, it wasn't a contentious interview. It just was, you know, it, it was a, there was, there was conflict in the dialogue. But for us, and and this isn't to say that that you know don't don't keep you know sending like interview our CEO requests, but we're not really in the business of interviewing people that are doing doing stuff from a from a business standpoint where they're looking to get exposure. We're right, we're, right? like so it's it so we'll we'll just like oh and you know honestly mostly Ben we're going to interview our friends. Yeah, yeah, no, it's and and that's kind of what we do. We're not journalists. We're we just we just hang out on the on the internet with each other and 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 in 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 situations we we have you can go back and listen to the archives there have been a couple of people who've like hey we would like to come on to your show and talk about something i don't think they've been very good episodes not like just mm-hmm. cuz we it's it it is like I don't know. It's good. like it's not our it, it's not part of our creative like whatever we do in this episode in the, in this show where we just kind of talk. If if we're not coming up with the idea, I think it's hard for us to get motivated. And that's me and you. I'm speaking <clears throat> on your behalf. <laughs> yep, thanks. So, we will we will end with something that I put into the food safety talk folder, but it's not food safety talk feedback, but I think it makes a good a good way to end the show. I hope you hope you agree. The title of the message is your quote patently ridiculous answers. Someone asks <laughs> if they should clean their groceries and or leave them outside for three days, and your response is to ridicule them. For those that actually believe all this COVID nonsense, it's a valid question, especially after the CDC came out a couple weeks ago and told us all how long the COVID nineteen virus can live on various types of surfaces and still be infectious. Oh, I, I would also point out this message is dated April 1st, so it might be an April Fool's joke, but I don't think so. For example, they said the virus can last as long as nine days on some plastics and certain other hard surfaces. Does their question make sense to you now, a-hole? Oh, uh, they, wow. the actual word. If this COVID simulation BS, but they actually spelled out the word, thing were real, you'd be the first to get it. Do you feel it? He's coming, and there will be no escaping the great and terrible day of the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. Whoa, Don, you're, Ooh. man, <laughs> I'm, so I, I feel. I think I poked a, I think I poked a nest there, a, a hornet's nest. Are you Are you concerned about the rapture? Like, is this? Is this... <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great show title, but we're not going to use it. <laughs> It'll, that 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 just pokes so many more bears. I I don't know. I I you didn't share that with me, or maybe you did, and I've just forgotten about it. Because there's been some, a long time. If I might, if I did share it, there's so. some vitriol in that in that response. Just um, a bit, just a bit. Yeah. I, so have you have you felt it, Don? Is it come for you? I can't remember exactly what the wording is, but I don't I don't feel like you've been the first to get it with your ridicule. So there's only still okay so far. Yeah, there's only let's let's get a a real time update here based on you know lots of different illnesses. There's only been uh, five point four million cases and one hundred seventy one thousand deaths. Yeah, and none none of them from sh- grocery produce from leaving it on your porch or not leaving it on your porch. Sorry to get good all you know bring, to bring us down here. Don't don't there, there's a there's a good Neil Young song. Don't don't let it bring you down. Let's see. There may be one more. Ones you deleted that were inappropriate is because it was more vitriol. 
No, it was just people asking me to come on their podcast, which they sent it via food safety talk feedback, and I I didn't even look at it. So, and it's it's probably past past due. So, oh, here we this is let's let's end on this. This is from a friend of the show, Billy Mitchell. Okay. Oh, yeah. A few weeks back, and so this is April 20th, a few weeks back from April 20th, a few weeks back, I made a note of Ben saying this on Barf Blog, quote, abundance of caution is the stupidest term in food safety risk communication, and <laughs> based, on, based off of a Jimmy John CEO quote. Then the whole world became engulfed with COVID and, quote, abundance of caution was everywhere. Ben, will you talk a little bit more about your quote from Barf Blog and ways you would communicate differently? Oh, yeah. Okay. This goes without saying, but not trying to pick on folks doing their best under stressful situations, but definitely trying to learn how to do better. And we'll link to the we'll link to the Jimmy John's blog post, which which was, again, from from a while ago. Yeah. And so I don't remember saying that, but it is I, I do love <laughs> Yeah, it sounds totally like me. And now that I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. So what, what prompted this is the CEO, James North, said, food safety and the welfare of our customers are top priorities and not negotiable in our business. The removal of sprouts it was out of an abundance of caution was not initiated by any known threat. And this was because they, they received a warning letter from FDA about five outbreaks and at least 88 illnesses linked to their sprouts. And in fact, saying... And this is my, and in fact, this is what it says in the blog post. Here's my favorite part of the warning letter. In May 2012, the meeting was held with FDA at your request. During that meeting, you expressed that you would offer only clover sprouts and only source clover sprouts from redacted suppliers. Since that corrective action, your firm has been implicated in three additional sprout-related outbreaks. Documents from traceback investigations conducted by FDA states local partners demonstrate in addition to redacted sprouts, Jimmy John's restaurants are using multiple other sources of sprouts. So don't, don't effing lie to us. Um, it's kind of what they said. Um, so they didn't actually use effing though, right? No, they didn't. Cause FDA, <laughs> FDA says they, they say freaking I, I do. So abundance of caution is a term that had some use 20 or 30 years ago when, when we started thinking about food safety, when we were being proactive and, and now it's lost. It's, it's, meaning to me it is it, it doesn't it doesn't help it, it's not why we're doing things it, it is really the the better term is based on our risk management decisions we are doing this based on our calculations on looking at data we're doing this it's not out of an abundance of caution at all and the fact that that it appears in in almost every recall announcement is is just it's just silly and and i want to I guess jump off a little bit from this to an article that came out last year by our our friend, your your well, our colleague, but your colleague at Rutgers, Bill Hallman. And he he wrote an article with and let me find it here. Yeah. Well, so while you do that, I just want to say, you know, if if Jimmy John's wanted to do something in an abundance of caution, they should have did what the FDA told them to do or what they told the FDA they were going to do. Right. Like, don't don't tell the agency you're going to do one thing and then do another. Right. That's that's not acting out of an abundance of caution. No. That's being, as, as I think you said, effing stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 We're we're all over the place on this one. So with with our 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 fantastic uh, cuss words today. So, okay. So, so Bill, so what, what kind of raised my ire of this term is really something that Bill, Bill Hallman 
Um, and Carla, is it Carla? Caracute. Caracute wrote in Food Safety Magazine last year, March 2019. And this is really one, probably like it's one of those articles that stuck with me. I've, I've revisited this a bunch of times. I'm interested in, in, in how do we move forward with better recalls? And, and they write in this article, because I highlighted it in here, it says, Unfortunately, many of these notices undermine their own message by including statements th- that, quote, no illnesses have been reported to date. Because th- what, what they're arguing is the whole point of a recall is to get people an alert so they do something. But if you say things like no illnesses are reported to date, it's a confusing message, right? Mm-hmm. So they say, while this may be true, it does not preclude illnesses from being reported in the future and may unintentionally communicate the idea th- that despite being recalled, the product is most likely harmless. And this is, you know, I'll quote again, and I love this. Similarly, informing consumers that a product is being recalled out of, quote, uh, or, quote, out of an abundance of caution may send the the message that there is little likelihood that there are serious problems with that product. And gosh, it, I I couldn't agree with it more. It, It doesn't have any meaning. It's not why we do things. In fact, if, if you're going to communicate something or if you're going to do something from a food safety standpoint, it has nothing to do with an abundance of caution. It is based on risk, right? Out of our calculation of risk, because there is a risk, we are doing these things. And and don't hide behind an abundance of caution. So there's my rant. Well, yeah, and <clears> – <throat> And I think we can definitely do better. But I mean, as we've talked about on this podcast, right? Like, like let's talk about let's flash back to the onions, right? Like, like probably the onions are. I mean, the the onions have most definitely caused illnesses. They definitely should be recalled. But honestly, if you had onions and you cooked them, you'd probably be okay, right? But again, one of the potential show titles that I came up with is "Don't Eat Recalled Food," right? So. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I get the again and again. This is sort of the the dithering and the equivocating stuff, right? It's like, well, we can we can dither and equivocate, but when you're doing a recall, you don't. You really do want to say, well, we we believe that this po- this product poses some risk, and therefore we're recalling it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And maybe and maybe save the save the abundance of caution and the no illnesses for your long podcast. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Well, and. And this is, you know, a, you know, maybe a good ending point, but I would love for mm-hmm. us to understand the history of an abundance of caution in the food industry. Like, mm. can someone do a, a, a content analysis of press releases and, and you know, there's, there's got to be a graduate student who's really interested in communication of food safety that wants to go back and look and say, where did this even come from? And why do we continue to use this this term? My I, my my uh, purely speculation on this. I bet it comes from some template that a federal authority put out there that says here's something that you might want to say in a in a in a recall or in in a message, and then it just happened. It's there all the time now, and it it just doesn't mean anything. That's my that you know that mm-hmm. that's my biggest my biggest point. And and please, and I, I think I sent you the food safety magazine. Yep, um, I got yeah. it. We'll link to it. It's great, great article. I, did, I had was not aware of it. Uh, good props to Bill and Kara for writing. It's yep. awesome. It's awesome. Go read. If there's any homework that you do from this, go look at pictures of Eve's troughs and then read this article on <laughs> rethinking the future of food recalls. So, cool. All right. Well, I think that's a show, Don. I think it is. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.
Cool. Cool. Well, that got, that went on a while, but I, 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 it was good. Yeah. And I, so, so I'll throw this, this audio in directly in there for you right now. Please, please do. Please do. Um, yeah. And put it, if you would put it in, put the, 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 the giant call recorder file in, right? Yes, like yes. Don't, don't do any pre-processing and that way I, cause, cause one of the things you can do with Descript is you can actually split the audio tracks. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Perfect. Yep. I will do that. No. So it'll be the dot recorder, not the wave file. Is what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, you can yes, do whatever. Just, yeah, you can. Yep. You can yeah, that. just give me the, the 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 pure call recorder output file. Yep. Cool. Awesome. All right. And so August nineteenth. What is what does September second look like? Uh, looks good in the morning. Yeah, I'm wide open. So ten o'clock again. That's yep. a pretty good time. I yeah, ten's good. Gives me gives me time to get to get going. And yep. yeah, food two. Gosh, it's like two. We're we're almost to two twenty two twenty one. We're almost to the <laughs> to the greatest episode ever. Yeah, yeah. This is this, that was two eighteen. This is two nineteen coming up. Cool. Two nineteen two two twenty. Whatever. It takes. Whatever it takes. All right, cool. I will throw that file in for you right oh, this second. Sounds good. And I, I got a bunch of questions or got a bunch of titles which I captured, which I will text you right now. Let me know if you like it. Okay. Know. Cool. Awesome. Um. All right. I'll. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.